this lady very seriously told her, don't eat meatball meat. Meatball meat has hormones in it. (laughs) Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. We try to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. <laughs> Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am great, actually. Thank you for asking. What's so great? Um, Well, I have a development to share. (laughs) New development in my saga of cancer. Hit me. I went and saw a cardiologist. Tell me everything. Um, I randomly kind of developed really high blood pressure Mm. and um, nobody could figure out why. So they sent me to a cardiologist and it was like one of the best experiences I have ever had with a healthcare provider. Wow. Seriously. Like no lie. So I am fat. I am a fat person with cancer, which is always scary when you are going to see a new provider because you have to brace yourself for the like your fat lecture Mm. especially because I have now randomly high blood pressure which you did not have before no I actually always have had pretty low blood pressure Uh and so it was really weird that it developed suddenly everybody kind of assumed it was due to medication but of course I was like maybe I have heart cancer now I know know what's going on (laughs) It must be heart cancer. I don't even think there is such a thing as heart cancer, but of course that's where. But you probably have it. (laughs) I'm the first. I'm patient zero. (laughs) So I went to the cardiologist and she, number one, immediately said Effexor can raise your blood pressure. She said it's actually kind of a common side effect. That's your medication that you and I both take that we are always talking up. Yeah, it's my antidepressant and it combats hot flashes. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm going to have to remember to mention that to my oncologist and my psychiatrist because neither of them were aware of that side effect. So Hmm. um, that was great that she just right off the bat was like, I know what's causing it. And then she said, "Um, I could tell you to stop eating salty foods. Mm hmm. But, you know, like the medications you're on, they can make food taste bad or different. Mm -hmm. And maybe your appetite has decreased and maybe, you know, you feel sad because you have cancer and maybe you don't enjoy eating food as much as you used to. And she basically was like, if salty food tastes good to you, eat it. Mm-hmm. Eat all the salty foods you want, and I will worry about your blood pressure. Nice. And I was just like, "Are you pranking me? Are you actually <laughs> the doctor? What's going on here?" And it was so refreshing because it was the exact opposite of what I thought was going to happen. And she was just so cool and so chill about it, and just like so supportive. That's great. It was such like a whole person 
approach to treating this problem. She was like, we've got medications. I can start you on a very low dose. And if that doesn't work, then maybe we can increase it, whatever. But it was amazing. I love her. Shout out to the University of Washington Medical Center because whoever is training their doctors is doing a great job at interpersonal communication skills. That's great. It was rad. Yeah. Especially when you're like expecting that they might be like, well, could you lose 20 pounds? And here's here's a pamphlet on how you could do that or something like that. Or Yeah. Stop eating salt. Lose 20 pounds. That's what I was expecting. And I got the opposite. So thank you. Well, I'm glad. And now you're just on top of the world. I am on top of the world. And I'm eating all the salt that I want. <laughs> we can just hear you crunching peanuts <laughs> on the microphone. Yep. That's right. Doctor's orders. <laughs> I just keep one of those Himalayan salt lamps by me at all times so I can take a lick. Like a little camel. (laughs) But seriously, though, I can totally identify with you when you were kind of like expecting something not to go as smoothly. And it Mm -hmm. reminded me of something that happened to me right before I went in for my first chemo. And I had to get my dexamethazine filled, which is like the steroid that you take the day before chemo and the day of and the day after to help you not have like really bad like allergic reactions or anything oh, uh-huh. and it combats all these terrible symptoms and or side effects. It's great. But I kind of wanted to switch pharmacies. As soon as I was diagnosed, this was like the first cancer med I was going to get. And I remember talking to Kevin and being like, I kind of don't want to go to our little local. It's like this like locally owned and this adorable little triangle building that looks very old fashioned and they actually have like a malt machine and a milkshake machine which is lovely and they're they're great but I had only gone there for things like my thyroid medicine which is not a big deal or like my kids fluoride or Kevin's allergy meds like just whatever we want to give them our money we want them to be in town yeah but you know I had had like an experience where I was getting something different and I felt like They didn't really know, like, I didn't trust them necessarily to know about cancer stuff. Like when I was breastfeeding, I had completely thrown my back out. And my doctor said that there was some sort of a muscle relaxer that was okay with breastfeeding. And she talked to me about some study that said it was safe. Mm -hmm. So I let her write me the prescription, but I wasn't quite sure about it. I was still like, I don't know about this. And so I was like, I'm going to talk to the pharmacist. Yeah. And I talked to the pharmacist and she kind of like had no idea about the medication and she actually like took out a little like cardboard box that the medication came in that like seriously looked like it was from like 1997 and then pulled out the little pamphlet that came in it and unfolded it and started reading to me and got down to breastfeeding and was like well I don't know I mean it says here but and I was just like "Uh, okay so I didn't end up taking that but when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was like, I don't really know if I want to be getting these like crazy cancer meds from this place that yeah. A, might not even have them and B, might not know about them. And like of all times in my life where I want to go from like a tiny, sweet little local shop to like literally Walgreens or like Rite yeah. Aid, like I just want to go talk to like the person that just got out of some crazy ass pharmacy school and like, yeah, knows every single thing. But I didn't switch at this point. I had to go get my dexamethazine, methazone. And I was like, whatever, I'll just get it and deal with it later. And so I walk in and it's 
the pharmacist is this man who I've seen there before, but it's never really helped me. And I was just kind of like, whatever, I'll just go grab it. And he was like, Hey, so have you ever taken this before? And I was like, I haven't. And then he's like, can I ask, are you taking it for chemo? And I was like, I am. And he's like, okay. And he's like, so this is your first chemo. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. He's like, I take this stuff too. And I was like, oh, really? And then he like pulled his shirt down and showed me his port. Oh. And he was like, you know, you might want to ask your oncologist if you could just get it day of through your like infusion. He's like, that's how I get it. I just get it the day of and I don't have to take it for three days or whatever. He's like, but I don't know. I'm not sure like if this is just more standard. And he's just like, do you mind? He's like, is it? breast or is it and he's like you're young and I was like yeah it's breast and and he's like oh and then he told me what kind he had and he told me a little bit about his like infusions like how often he goes and some of the side effects stuff oh my god yeah and then he just like told me a little bit more about the meds and what to expect and like wished me luck and I was like oh wished him luck and then I walked out and like I almost like started crying when I left because obviously this is a very like sensitive time. Yeah. But because I was like so glad to have had that weird interaction with like somebody who really knew and took the time. And also if he worked at Walgreens, there is no way in hell he would have been able to ask me those personal questions about why I was getting this stuff. Oh, yeah. No, they would have been on his ass. And or to tell me about his totally. stuff. Like, yeah. And also to another person that might have been very invasive, but it did not rub me the wrong way. Like to me, it was like, this is why I want to be at this like little pharmacy with a malt shop yeah. in it. And I've stayed there and I just went and picked something up there like Aww, yesterday. Genuine human connection. And I saw him and it was him again. And it made me think of this. So your story reminded me of that. So I just kind of wanted to jump in with like those nice moments where the people that you kind of underestimate show up and like surprise you. And yeah, like your cardiologist did. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Way to go, guy. Yeah. And <laughs> fuck you, Walgreens. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Take that big box stores. Yeah. Um hey, I want to talk to you about something else though if you're down to shift gears with me because I know you know the answer to this my chart question. Oh my god, I do. I do know the answer. Why the yes. hell in this world do my chart messages just Show up in your inbox the second the results are in, before your doctor has seen the results. So no matter if it's good or if it's bad, you read it Mm -hmm. and have an absolute panic attack. Yeah. You know why this is. I do know why this is. I do not know why this is. And I hate it. So... This is not widely known information. You ask people and they're like, I think it's a law. I it's a hospital policy. I don't really know. Nobody, nobody knows. Yeah. Or you hear different reasons that cannot be the reason. Like a nurse practitioner, I think it was, or maybe just a nurse. I asked her and she told me our computer systems just got like rewritten or like there's new code and some computer developer didn't realize the impact this would have on patients. <laughs> and so he just wrote it. So now it just automatically drops into your account. And like, we just can't have, have it oh, change now. It's, she was telling me this and I was like, 
First of all, there's no way it's just at this hospital because I've heard other people complain about it. Yeah. Second of all, that is absolutely not a real thing. There's no possible way. It's this one computer developer. He's Yeah. Like, can you imagine like the head of the hospital being like, well, I guess that's just how we'll do it now. Then if that's how Anthony wrote the code, like we couldn't possibly fix this. He worked so hard. He did. Um, no, it is a federal law. Um, it's part of something called the CARES Act, C-A-R-E-S, and it uh, was passed in 2020 in the Trump administration. So thanks for yet another bullshit thing, Trump. I knew it. It was part of like COVID relief stuff, but the whole act was a package deal. So like you need to get your COVID results immediately. So let's just like tell you if you have a brain tumor also in an email (laughs) on Friday afternoon at 3 p.m. that your doctor hasn't seen. You don't have COVID, but surprise, you have brain cancer. (laughs) Those nasal swabs can sure pick up a lot lately. It goes all the way to your brain. There's a huge tumor back there. Our phone lines will be off until fun day at 9 a.m. Yeah. So with these bills, what they tend to do is to tack on a bunch of other things yeah. that they've been trying to get passed. So that's basically what happened with the CARES Act. They included this mandate that all of your patient information will just automatically be released to you as soon as it is completed. So what they are intending to do with this, theoretically, is to make your healthcare information, your electronic medical records, all of that available to you as a patient, which sounds on its face like a good thing. Right. Because obviously, like, it's messed up that you have to pay to get copies of your medical records in some cases. Or, like, you'll submit a request for a copy of something from your chart and then, like, it takes you a month for them to track it down and like mm-hmm. print it out for you. And then you got to go pick it up. Or... Sure. Anyway, sure. Fine. All that stuff sucks. But the unintended, I think, consequence of it, obviously, is that you have all of these people with like cancer, with chronic illnesses and stuff who are just getting email blasts saying, hi, your cancer's back or you've got progression. Yeah. And it's also creating this horrible problem for oncologists Because they have all of these patients who are freaking the fuck out because they're getting these results with no context, nobody to interpret them. The oncologists obviously have multiple patients. They can't just immediately call you. Right. And sometimes these results are getting dropped into my chart in the middle of the night, you know? Yeah. So it's it's pretty messed up. And I understand that it's probably well-intentioned, but in application. It is a huge fail. I still don't understand the need for the immediacy of it. I understand the need to have it at our fingertips, like all of our records or anything a doctor's written about you, any test result, we should absolutely have access to it as our doctors see it Yeah, so that we can research it on our own or whatever. There is no reason that I need to see it before my doctor. Exactly. Of course, I want my test results as soon as possible. I don't want to wait four or five days to get an MRI result. I really don't. But I would way rather wait four or five days and then get a result that my doctor has seen. Because before, if you get it in your MyChart, it means that your results are good. If you don't get it in your MyChart, it means your doctor is going to call you or maybe 
you already have an appointment. So you're going to see your doctor before then anyway. So maybe it's bad. Maybe it's good. You're not sure. Yeah. Yeah. But anytime I would get something dropped into my chart, I'd be like, yes, that means it's good, you know, because this would be held back otherwise. And I would just open it up with so much happiness. And now I just went into my chart because I want to actually use an example of what I absolutely should not have gotten and had to read because yeah and I looked and there's like all of these results that are unopened like then you have a much stronger willpower than I have because my oncologist was like I don't want you to look at results mm-hmm. before I can talk to you about them but I know I can't tell you to not open that email yeah. like it's just you want to know and then if curiosity gets the better of you And there's all of this stuff that if you're not a doctor, you can't interpret. I mean, I'm a pretty smart person, but I still don't know what the hell any of that means. I mean, when you have cancer, when you have high blood pressure, you think your heart has cancer. Like we're joking around, but really that's what cancer does to your brain is spirals you into these weird things where you're like, my fingernails are growing faster. Maybe is there fingernail cancer that makes your yeah. nails grow faster? No, you've been taking prenatal vitamins for, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Can I read you this result that I got that caused me to completely tailspin that was totally fine? But because I'm not a medical professional, I was like, great. I Yes, please do. Okay, so this is kind of an example. All right. And I'll try to tell the lead up as quickly as possible because it, it really is oftentimes one scan leads to another scan leads to another scan and it just becomes this whole ordeal. Right. Okay. So this actually refers to, I referenced this lump I found in my same side, breast cancer side that Mm -hmm. ended up to be nothing to worry about. Um, But this was during the process and I had to get like a a mammogram, an ultrasound, and then an MRI. Mm -hmm. Um, What ended up happening with this MRI is they referenced something else that's in my chest that is not about why I was getting this MRI. Mm -hmm. I also had a few weird things going on in my chest previous to this that this MRI had nothing to do with. I I wasn't even thinking about these other areas. Mm -hmm. Um, But like I have radiation scarring in my lung that they had been kind of monitoring to make sure it was healing okay. And there was like this area from my surgery that went kind of far back. Clearly, I'm a little sensitive about these scary things going on in my chest, but I'm not even thinking about them for this breast MRI because this is just about this like lump in my boob that I'm scared is cancer. It doesn't end up that it is, which is great. But ding dong goes the my chart bell. I open it up and I like do that like peak thing where you're like, And so the first thing is like, I'm just going to look at it right now. It's like no MRI evidence of malignancy. I'm like, okay, great. I can read it because they don't think it's breast cancer either. And like, great, great, great. So I start reading it and then they bring up this freaking area of concern, right? That I'm like, I didn't know I had an area of concern. (laughs) Who's concerned? So it says increased open. Opacity in the peripheral left upper lobe when compared to the prior chest CT from July 2020. Yeah. Clinical management is recommended. A repeat chest CT may be obtained for more definitive diagnosis. Oh. So I'm like, oh, wait, are they talking about the 
thing that they told me was radiation damage or are they talking about the thing that they told me was surgical damage and who lied to me because now I need to get a diagnosis and I need to get another CT scan and I didn't sign up for this. I was worried about this lump for weeks. I've been worried about yeah. this fucking lump and now now I have cancer in my chest. Now I have lung cancer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I was like, this just means that I my breast cancer has metastasized. Like if it's in, you know, I've said this before, like your chest, your like your, your lung, like these are all places that breast cancer moves. So I was mm-hmm. just like, what the heck is going on? And then it says follow up. Annual mammography is recommended given history of breast cancer. Yeah, duh. Thanks for the notes. Clinical management of the palpable area of concern. The need for further evaluation, including biopsy of any palpable abnormality without imaging correlate needs to be determined by the level of clinical suspicion. Byrad's assessment category two benign. So I think upon having more time to digest this and talking to my doctors and everything, I understand this more Mm -hmm. when they're talking about the clinical management of the palpable area of concern. They're talking about the breast lump saying like you could biopsy it if you really are so worried, but the birads is a two, which is like, there's zero concern. This is benign. Yeah. To me, I was reading that, that they were still talking about the chest and saying I needed to biopsy whatever's going on in my chest. Yeah. Yeah. So I freaked out and I wrote my radiation oncologist and like I had to wait for her to write me back for a few days because she was out of town. (laughs) And so she writes me back like two sentences or something saying like, I'm not concerned. CT scan is better for chests and MRI is great for breasts. So I'm not concerned that the MRI thinks that that looks different mm-hmm. than the, the other CD, CT scan because it's not good. So we're, we're going to give you another CT scan. You're due for one. And I'm guessing that that area will look smaller and I'm not concerned. Yeah. But I read that short answer without too much detail as she just doesn't want me to worry. And yeah, yeah, we'll worry once we get the results from this. So then I spent another like 11 days totally freaking out. I get that next scan, whatever the hell they were talking about is smaller than it was in July of 2020 or whatever. It's the radiation damage or the surgical, whatever it was, it's healing perfectly fine. It's not cancer. No one's worried about it. And then when I pressed my oncologist more, she was like, oh, no, 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 this is just how they write it. Like they're saying like, yes, we've noted in your chart or whatever that this is something else. And we see it too and you should follow it up. You know, like they're just saying that do what you're already doing. Yeah. You know, the same way they said, get a mammogram, do what you're doing. We've noted, you know. Yeah. So when I got those results, like this is the damage it does to people that they don't even realize. And this was something that wasn't even wrong. Can you imagine if this was telling me that I had cancer somewhere? Yeah, it's it's insane. But I got that call from her or whatever telling me everything's cool and that you know, CT scan's cool. And I pulled over in my car to take that call. And then I just hung up the phone and I started crying. I'm not kidding. Harder than I have my entire, from being diagnosed to this entire time, because I had been holding on for like 15 days secretly thinking that I had metastasized and that my cancer has spread to who who knows where else in my body. And I just like let it all out and was just like, (gasps) 
Because, like, we're fragile fucking people, Cares Act. We are. You can't just drop yeah. this shit. It would have been so much better if she would have just called me and said... Hey, it's fine. Explained it to me fully. Yeah. Yeah. It is such a stressful thing to put in the hands of such a fragile person. And I do know that oncologists are also upset about it. I have this Instagram comment from at Esther Elise nine. And she says, mm-hmm. pediatric oncologist here. We are all sorts of fired up, all caps, fired up about this new law. Mm-hmm. Whichever uninformed politicians thought this would, quote, empower patients and families has probably never been in the shoes of a worried patient slash parent or a doctor trying their best to relay our expertise and medical opinion. Shame on those causing additional distress to those who already have a lot on their plate. Hell yes. And like that just completely says it. Exactly. <sighs> Do you want to know how fragile we are? The The other day, um, my partner, Nathan, was like, did you hear LeVar Burton? And I was just like, <gasps> No, don't. And he was like, might be the new host of Jeopardy. And I was just like, oh, my God, you can't start a sentence like that. I know I'm the exact same way. I'm so the exact same way. So listen, Cares Act, you don't know who you're dealing with here. We are a bunch of freaks. My heart can't take it. It's not our fault. Um, Who do we like organize? We need to like write a bunch of letters we need to protest we need to get like i mean i want the cancer people we could get like i want hajimoto's disease i want <laughs> i want lou gehrig's disease come here join us let's yes, pick it we're gonna pick it <laughs> i'll supply the markers and the poster board yes i'll get some t-shirts made yeah it makes me mad it makes me mad too well i'm glad we got that off of our chests me too. Don't bring up chess. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, so I've got some letters. Do you now? Would you like to hear a few? I would love to. Always. Okay. So here's a nice short one from a listener. It says, from an aunt's perspective... What I found so astonishing was almost one year ago, she said, I have something to tell you. And I think she said, don't freak out or anything, but I have cancer. For the record, I did. Mm. I am 2,309 miles away from her and I couldn't be there. And this is in the midst of the COVID epidemic. Are you fucking kidding me? It's extremely frustrating. Hard to find yourself in a situation where you can't do anything to help. You try sending things, but... It's not the same. You just want to hug her to be there. Cancer sucks, and listening to Cancer for Breakfast is helpful because it touches on the family's reaction as well. And this mm. is mine. Aww. Thank you so much for writing that. Yeah. It is so hard for family members and close friends, and we get it. Especially when you are far away. I know. I think when you hear somebody has cancer and you aren't able to see them and hug them and, um, you know, you want to pitch in, you want to like go over to their house and do a load of laundry for them or something. I don't know. So we hear you. It is hard to be far away. Yeah, it is. Um, well, we hope your niece is doing well. 
Yeah. Um, I got another one. Okay, this is an update that is crazy. And I will tell you, because I don't like taking people on these emotional roller coasters, Mm -hmm. if you might be a little sensitive, this ends up being very good for this person. So (laughs) (laughs) this is Sam. If you remember, she wrote a letter to us during our... We've got mail or you've got mail episode. (laughs) We've got it. We've got it. Yes. I love Sam. She was so funny. Yeah. She was the one that was going to do the double mastectomy because she does not have cancer, but she is a BRCA2 carrier, which she says in the letter. So I'll just read it and let her explain what happened. This is a crazy update. I'm sorry. I have to interrupt you here because I have to give props to Sam for establishing the now long-running cadaver skin joke. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we will never let that one die. We oh, oh, get it? Die? <laughs> Good one. Anyway, back to Sam. Hi, it's me, Sam. I'm the BRCA2 carrier who wrote in about planning my risk-reducing double mastectomy. I don't have breast cancer and I don't want to get it. I wanted to write in because something crazy happened when I went in for my pre-surgery MRI because I'm BRCA, a.k.a. super high risk. They have always watched me closely. I usually get one MRI and one mammogram spaced out every six months. It's no big deal. Giant magnets are fun. (laughs) This time they saw something strange in the MRI. This actually wasn't surprising because I've had to go back for all kinds of different tests for different reasons. So I made an appointment for the mammogram so they could get a view of whatever the hell they wanted to. And the technician told me if they couldn't find anything, they would just let me go home. Like, bye. (laughs) So as I waited in the mammography room, watching clips of Say Yes to the Dress on my phone, I just had a feeling there was more to this. The tech came in and told me they needed more pictures. Apparently, the doctor didn't like what she saw because she immediately ordered an ultrasound. I got it immediately. There were two spots. One looked like a jelly bean and the other was in the shape of the great state of California. (laughs) Nobody remarked on the areas or said much. Then the doctor came in and told me that there are some suspicious areas that they would like to biopsy. Ah! I have known that the enemy was coming for almost 20 years. This is what BRCA2 test does for you. You know where your enemy will attack and you can prepare. You can watch its every move and when it comes, you can face it and punch it in the fucking face. (laughs) At least that was my long-term cancer plan. A week later, I got my biopsy. The needle sounds like an automatic stapler. Mm -hmm. Later the same day, I received my mammography and ultrasound report. Here we go. They rated my mammogram a birads five ah, no this is important to know because this is the score that tells you how suspicious your results are a five is we are pretty sure this is cancer and we just need the biopsy to prove it like 95 percent sure this is cancer yeah so i was guessing this wasn't a magic school bus tour of my breasts but i hunt for the actual threat This was a pretty dark time. How could this be happening right as I am trying to get these lobbed off? Seriously. (sighs) Like, Byrad's five. This is Amy talking, not her letter. That's what we're always talking about. Like, when we're telling our diagnosis stories and we're just like, 
they know they just have to get the biopsy to like those the biopsy is just the receipts like they know it's cancer like it's there's like a five percent chance it's not but that's like semantics it's gonna be cancer yeah right okay so she writes i decided to tell a few people just enough to get the support i needed but not bring the drama to people who just didn't need that stress I told people who are in my everyday life, I didn't want to be like Miley Cyrus in the Hannah Montana movie where I'm making (laughs) weird excuses for the appointments and phone calls and I can't remember which lie I made up and then I'm wearing half my rock star outfit and half of my regular girl outfit to a meeting (laughs) with my boss about taking time off to recover for surgery. (laughs) The worst part was catching my husband staring at me with that I don't want to lose her look. I hated what this was doing to the people I love. The waiting, the wondering, the not knowing, the infinite outcomes, and what was going to happen. I waited for the terrible phone call confirming that I had cancer, and I was also kind of pissed. Angry because I thought my strategy would save me. But it didn't turn out that way. A week later, I received news that my biopsy was negative? What?! But they wanted me to go in for an MRI-guided biopsy just to make sure they'd gotten the right tissue. They were pretty sure they had, but the spot was actually pretty tiny. I asked the doctor why I was a Byrads 5 in the first place. Like, what rubric or checklist are they using? Like, and how is each item weighted? He told me that he actually rated my results a 4A, which is more like a 5% chance that it could be cancer. Oh, my God. Oh, and he was highly trained in breast imaging. The other doctor might have been a general radiologist and not a breast specialist, he said. But he wasn't sure. But he thought that I was definitely a 4A and not a 5. With that change, I went from thinking I had a 95% chance of having cancer to a 5% chance now. Wow. Wow. Oh, my God. I got the second biopsy results yesterday, and they're also negative. Yes! I feel relieved and also very sure that I'm making the right decision to get the mastectomy. I am not going to play this game. That experience just scared the shit out of me. So, yes, surgery is scary. Recovery is painful. But that emotional roller coaster of screenings and biopsies was terrifying. So, bye-bye, boobies. Oh my gosh, I am so glad that it ended up being nothing. This is a story like none that I have heard. I mean, I know people have scares all the time. And like in Steph and I, in in our line of work of being breast cancer people, (laughs) like we are just talking to other people with confirmed cases of breast cancer. So maybe like... Of course, we're hearing that that 5% is like never. Yes, never legit. Yeah. But then in this case, it's like, do they even count the 5% just because there's error? And like in this case, that's the thing. It was so smart of her to ask that radiologist, what's the rubric for scoring? Because when you think about it, it is totally subjective based on the radiologist and their skill level and what their specialties are. I mean, can you imagine if she hadn't gone to that breast specialty radiologist? And imagine how many days this probably took between like her initial MRI and then you know, getting the mammogram and ultrasound and then getting the biopsy and then coming back for the second biopsy. Yeah. When you're thinking there's a 95% chance that you have cancer, when 
She has known, she says in her first letter that she was BRCA2 carrier since I think she was 20 and she's 40 now. Yeah. So she's been getting these mammograms and MRIs. They follow you very, very closely, which is wonderful because of the early detection. Right. And this is also probably why she says that her spot was so tiny. Right. Is because they've been watching her like a hawk. So any change. Yeah. They're going to know to do exactly what they did. They did the absolute right thing to just be like, uh, uh-uh, come back. Let's make sure we got the right spot. Right. There's like a 70% chance you're going to develop cancer in your life with this BRCA gene. Let's make sure. I'm so, so, so glad that yes. she... Way to advocate for yourself like a total badass, Sam. Oh, what a ride. What a roller coaster. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And good luck with your mastectomy. I'm glad you get to just go and roll through that and don't have to stop and do any dumbass chemo or anything like that on your way. Jeez. The next letter, the third and final letter. This is actually the second half of a letter that we also read in that you've got mail episode from um, Lowry. Oh, Lowry. Um, the reason we split this into two things is because the first part was kind of her whole story. And then the second part was just such a good standalone portion of advice yes. for the newly diagnosed. And we actually are going to be doing an episode of advice for um, people that might be newly diagnosed. Um, and we would love for any of you listening who have been, um, dealing with cancer or treatment for a while and you have any advice that have known earlier, please send it along. But here's what Lowry says. If there's one or several things I could say to myself or anyone else at first diagnosis, or even before that, I tell them to be less afraid of doing the things that scare you. And by that, I don't mean go swimming with great whites. I mean, go to therapy because we all need to. Therapy is really scary for most people, but it's also really important and helpful, especially when you've been handed a pile of medical crap to deal with. Also, get rid of anyone in your life that makes you feel less than or doesn't support you in a kind, totally accepting, loving way. You don't always have to use humor as your coping mechanism because seriously, who are you trying so hard for anyway? If you're tired, rest. If you're sad, cry. The more you fight your feelings, the worse they'll be. If you need help, ask for it. And also, it's your body. You always have the right to make the best choices for you and you alone. Mm -hmm. Also, play your favorite music very loud and very often. Yes. Oh, that's so great. We love you, Larry. And um, not only do we want to hear from cancer patients with advice to other cancer people, but we want to hear from cancer people what they want to tell non-cancer people, Mm -hmm. what they want to share with friends and family members about what not to do, what's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So send those in to us. You can send us an email at cancerforbreakfast at Mm gmail.com. Tag us on Instagram. Yeah. And that's going to be a good episode, I think. I think so, too. I think it'll be useful to kind of like send to the people in our lives that it's hard to tell them. Yeah. (laughs) And it's also so hard for people to make little missteps that they don't know. So I don't know. I think this might be a good way to have a little bit more transparency of, (laughs) you know. We'll alienate people so you don't have to. Yes, exactly. (laughs) 
send them in. Hey, are you ready for some rats? I'm absolutely ready. Let's hear that rats theme song. Roll that beautiful bean footage. Rats is on cervical cancer and making it a thing of the past. Cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's just do it already. Who Um, needs it? Not me. I know you don't. So um, cervical cancer kills over 300,000 people globally every year. It's definitely becoming less of a problem in the United States. And... um, That is a wonderful thing to be celebrated because of the HPV vaccine. Mm -hmm. And I know that this is a controversial vaccine, but when it first came out, I was working for a midwife and she said she thinks that it is the single greatest scientific achievement for women in her lifetime. Yes. And she was in her 70s at -hmm. the time. So that's not nothing. Um, And it's turning out that the HPV vaccine is super, super effective as vaccines go. It is. um, It has historically been a two dose vaccine and there have been some clinical trials and some. uh, Projects that they have done in the past 10 years that have led them to believe that the HPV vaccine can actually be just as effective in a one dose format, Hmm. which is a huge deal because getting somebody to come back for that second dose, as we're seeing with COVID vaccines is kind of a logistical nightmare, especially when you're trying to deal with underserved um, populations, places without, um, you know, socialized medicine, like the United States, um, and then also places where people don't have phones, you know, don't have access to internet, things like that. So um, one of the biggest studies happened in Costa Rica, and they were the ones who figured out that this one dose is just as effective. The participants who only got one dose of the vaccine were still protected after 10 years. And so that's a really big deal. If you look at you know, the sexual lifetime of people. If you're having to get a booster shot only every 10 years, that's really, really great. Um, It's also something that is really meaningful for herd immunity for uh, men and uh, other, and like, you know, people who primarily have contact um, orally. So, um, HPV causes, and this was a crazy statistic that I had no idea about, oral HPV infections cause over 70% of all oropharyngeal cancers in the United States. The results of the study were published just um, this past September, and they say, quote, that the findings add to accumulating evidence that HPV vaccination prevents oral infection, 
with HPV. And they say it's, quote, really meaningful Mm -hmm. um, because it is very difficult to catch oropharyngeal cancers at their early treatable stages. Mm. So more than half of those oral cancers have already spread to other places in the body by the time they're discovered, Mm. which, um, you know, like if you can just totally eliminate that from happening, that would be amazing. Um, so basically this is all very good news. The national cancer Institute is, um, now backing this single dose of HPV vaccine. Um, it is effective against HPV 16 and 18. But in the analysis after that 10-year period, they said that it also happens to provide long-lasting protection against three other cancer-causing HPV types. Wow. So um, they call that cross-protection. And um, then it also provides lesser cross protection against two more cancer causing HPV types. So that's the two main ones, three additional ones at the same level of protection, and then two more at lesser levels of protection. Because, you know, like we're always talking about what about a cancer vaccine? Well, like here is one. Right. Um, But also that. It has such kind of like far reaching efficacy Mm -hmm. for all of these various types. That's amazing. Um, So the um, NIH says uh, that the goal is to vaccinate girls when they are 10 to 12 years old and protect them for at least 20 years. Um, They say, quote, HPV infections acquired in the late teens and 20s when most women are sexually active are the most important ones to protect. Mm in terms of controlling cervical cancer. So you can get an HPV infection that isn't one of these strains that leads to cervical cancer. So like not a high risk HPV. Mm -hmm. Um, And one other thing that they said was really crucial to um, the overall fighting of cervical cancer is the fact that they've developed this method of self-sampling Because when we think about, especially places in the United States where maybe you don't live within 100 miles of a women's health clinic Mm -hmm. um, or Planned Parenthood or anything like that, you probably aren't, you know, when you're in your teens, going to be seeking out services for your annual gynecological exam. Um, Trans men are probably, you know, not going to be willingly seeking out those services. Money is always a problem. And they've developed this technology where you can self-sample. Basically, they send you a kit in the mail and you take your own cervical Hmm. cell sample and then you send it back for analysis. So that's just one more facet of how they're trying to totally eliminate cervical cancer. And they say that their goal is to have it decreased at least by half by 2030, which is not that yeah. long now. Well, this is great news. I love it. I want to hear sometime about the um, the new breast cancer vaccine for triple negative breast cancer. Yeah, I'll look that up. We can do that, rats, like, soon. Just as bonkers. 
Um, cool. Well, thank you, Steph. That's amazing. I'm yeah. so I'm just thrilled to hear this news. I did not know. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. And thank you so much to everybody who has rated us and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts. It's so super helpful. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. And it's really nice for us just to read through um, the reviews, too. So Mm -hmm. thank you. And if you want to leave us one or rate us, it really does make a difference. Subscribing Um, also helps you get sooner access to the podcast when it drops. So consider it. It's a fact. All right. See y'all later. Bye-bye. Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. so much for listening thanks for listening is there anything else we want to mention i don't think so is there a cab yeah just dropping in a cab <laughs> <laughs> fuck you walmart a cab <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>